You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Before we look at this one verse, there is a picture here as well from Kelsey. I don't know if Kelsey is with everybody's in new. This is just fine if you're in place, whatever. Oops, and I'm tripping. What is, okay, all right. Uh, this is from Kelsey from last week. I love God. I don't know what that part is. You can ask her, but I know what the middle is, and it's the cross and the cross of Christ and the reason what brings us together to celebrate and even these depths of riches and wisdom and knowledge of God central to the gospel message of Christ. And so um, that's what Kelsey draw Drew and appreciate the other, there's other pictures out there on your way out today, if you go out this way or not, swing by there, there's other good pictures as well uh, from last week. All right, well, let's head to our text here, Romans 11, I'm going to start at verse 33, and then we'll, we'll read through uh, verse 36 and really spend our time in the last verse here. God's word says this, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's go to the Lord again and ask his help. And Lord, as we think on this last verse in these three chapters we've been in for a while now and come to close with this grand closing, Lord, it is a prayer that the preacher would not be heard today, but the great and glorious God who is you would be heard. Lord, that you would be magnified in what is spoken of you today. And so we need your spirit, we need your ears to hear this study your word and think on it well, from the youngest of us to the oldest. And we pray this in your name. Amen. We are at this, this high point, this conclusion, kind of outburst of praise even, proclamation from Paul, as it's kind of this, this end of the study in particular through chapters 9 through 11. And even I think some, and I think rightly see kind of this first section, this more doctrinally theologically rich section of Romans 1 through 11, so it ends this way. And last week, our focus was on these previous three verses here, 33 through 35, pondering the depth of God's riches and his wisdom and his knowledge, that his judgments, we said maybe decrees, are beyond our understanding, they're unfathomable, his ways are beyond, we cannot trace out his ways. And so all his judgments and ways, they're exalted, they're above, they're, they're beyond us. And so Paul can ask then, who has known the mind of the Lord? And have you known his mind? Who has been his counselor? In other words, can you give advice to this God that is rich in wisdom and knowledge in all things? Do you presume to say, I think you ought to do it this way? Or what does God owe you? Who's given a gift that God owes us something? He doesn't. It's by his grace and mercy. And so, coming out of this comes verse 36. 
And Paul frames it here. It's kind of like a conclusion, but it's also like an explanation for what he's already said. It's the, the background for what he's said, the basis upon what he's talked about here. Why can Paul speak of the depths of God's riches and wisdom and knowledge and his inscrutable ways? And so question those that would give God counsel. It's because all things are from God here. They're through God and they're to God. Verse 36 just drills down deep. As we're thinking, we talked about the deeps last week. Verse 36 just drills down to the depths, really the core of life itself. This is one of those, like if you've got a, maybe a life verse, this might be one of them. Maybe for many of you, this is just a favorite place of yours to go to often because here we've got what is, what is life all about? What are we all about? What are we here for? What's the purpose of creation? Where do all things come from? How are they sustained? And what we see here is this God who, there's three things here. He's one, he's the source of all things from him. So we'll look at that. Number two, he's the means by which all things exist. He's the means, he's the source, he's the means. And then third, he's the aim. He's the purpose. The goal is God. He's the aim of all things to include our life. So let's take the first one here. Kind of just dividing up these little phrases, sections. The first, for from him are all things. For from him. God is the source of all things. So the sense here is that all things they derive from. It's, they've got their origin in everything in God. Everything derives its being from God. Creation is from God. All of what we see and all of what we don't see is from the Lord. Wisdom comes where? From God. Salvation, to Paul's point really in Romans, where does salvation come? From God. Certainly comes from God. Listen to a few other scriptures. One, if you've been reading through the Bible in a two-year plan or you were at prayer meeting Wednesday night, Psalm 148. The first six verses say, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded... And they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Isaiah 45, verses 5 through 8 say this. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, but you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun And from the West, that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Verse 7 says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open, that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. In Acts 17, Paul explains to the men of Athens, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, He does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself, remember, gives to all mankind life and breath 
and everything. The very every breath you have had this morning has come from God. And now we're holding our, and you're still breathing. It's from God. So look around at all you see, everything you don't see, and there you'll find as its source from God. He is the source. Anything we can build. Smartphones, maybe you like them, maybe you hate them. God gives that knowledge to make that. Or looking at some stuff on the Concorde. Anybody remember the Concorde, that cool supersonic airliner of the whenever that was? I mean, God gives this knowledge to make these things. Tools of medicine, minds that can study, minds that can invent things or produce life-saving measures. Two, I mentioned last week, to mushrooms in the forest. God is their source. Not just creation, but he's the source of life and breath and everything. So I ask, what do you have that is not from God? What have you done that has not been done out of the breath and the knowledge and the strength that God has given each of you? What muscles do you have? Do you have talents? Some sort of skill? You've got a standing, a place, and a company? You've accomplished something? What health? What heritage? What do you have that is not all from the Lord? And so where does that leave our boasting? It leaves it in the dust. There is no boasting. All is from God. But I think it's also good to not distinguish what we perceive only as good things. Those are from God. And then there's other things. And Job didn't make that distinction. Job said this in verse 21 of the first chapter of Job. He says, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away Job's, what does he respond with? Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I think that's where the test of affections for the Lord, of our worship of God, they come to bear. So will we acknowledge that all comes from God and and yet praise Him for all that comes from Him, to worship Him for all that He is doing, for all of His glory? And yet for those in Christ, again, this same book that we're in, Romans, 8 verse 28 gives the believer this hope. We know that for those who love God, all things, the Greek is panta, it's the same word we've got all things here, panta, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so God is the source of all things. Secondly, the next little phrase, all things are through God. Paul's second conclusion gets at the the means here. How the, the word how might come to mind. How does something take place? It's through God. So beyond God is just the so, the source of all things, the who. We've got God as the the agent, the means of the activity of all things, how all things are done. So God not only creates the world, he gives life and breath. He's actively, he's divinely at work presently in all things, sustaining things, moving, holding, creating, and on and on. It's through God that all things exist and then they continue. And you can imagine, we were talking, I think, at prayer meeting about the, the, where we're even at in the solar system, in our distance from the sun and moon, all those sorts of things. If God takes His hand away from that, for one second, it's disaster. God is the means by which all things exist and all things continue to exist. Made me think of a quote from R.C. Sproul. He said this, 
Because we're really in the realm even of just the sovereignty of God over all things, from, through, to, we'll get to. R.C. Sproul has said, there are no maverick molecules in a universe where God is sovereign. You know what he's saying? No maverick. There's nothing outside that's just, oh, boy, I didn't think that would happen. God's sustaining through all things. Now, we're in the context of Romans 11. So God here, he's sovereignly working through what? Remember the Gentiles, he's working through their salvation for the sake of and the means of also saving Israel at the same time and in that and through that. But if you broaden it out, even even in Scripture, we see how God works through all things. Again, passages, Psalm 148, a little further on. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word through, through God. Or Job 38, to go back to Job again. God questions Job. I think with questions, at least in part, questions of means like this. To Job, have you commanded the morning? Have you caused the dawn to know its place? What's the implication? God has. Wherever that dawn happened today in all those places, that's God at work. Or who has cleft the channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt? Or speaking of constellations, I'm not great in astronomy on constellations. I know maybe half of one or two. But if you study them, there's this question there. Can you lead forth the Maseroth, which at least the ESV thinks that's a constellation. Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season? Or can you guide the bear? Another constellation. Maybe some of you guys know where that is. Can you guide the bear with its children? What's he saying? In this sky, when you look up on a clear night when there's not haze around and see these stars, who's, who's moving those? Why are they there? Why are they there at the same time next year? Because of God through him. Or, Job, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? Or, who provides for the ravens its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food? And so God calls Job to ponder the way in which he moves in and through what he has made, God and God alone. Then consider even the Trinity and the sustaining means of Christ himself. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. He says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, oh, that sounds familiar, and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, says that Jesus is the means by which all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, exalt God, in, sorry, exalt Christ as the, the one whom God, and let me quote Hebrews, this is the one whom God appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, that is Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
everything, if you think about that, everything right now is held by one word, the word of the power of the glorious one who is Jesus. He's not out of breath. He's not exhausted. Be it upheld, it's upheld by the word of the power of the radiance of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. It is through God and God in Christ even that any and everything goes on and it moves and it operates. Nothing's outside of God's sovereign hand, which also means this, your day, your very day, today is Sunday, the 16th of July, or the next day, it's not a haphazard series of events that just happen to take place. And be that suffering, be it joyful times, be it, I was thinking just mundane parts of your day, you're brushing your teeth, or maybe you're working tomorrow on the same project you were working on Friday, or you're changing a diaper, or you're noticing a sunset or a butterfly, consider that all things not only come from God as their source, but all things are through God, the means of His working, and He's working through a million, billion ways in and around us. Stormy wind fulfilling His word and everything else. But then notice the aim. So God's the source, the means. Notice the aim of the last little phrase here. To Him are all things. To Him are all things. There's, I guess there's three sentences, two, you might say, longer ones. In this first sentence, you've got three pronouns for God. Him, referring to God as Him. There's three of them. The the first two, from Him or through Him, these are in a form, at least in the original language, they're form like possession or source, kind of like our English word you could put in of. So all things are from of Him. Like it just points to think, what are things from? They're from God. How are things through? They're through of God. But this last Him, to Him are all things, it's in a little different form. Same pronoun, but a little different form that indicates the direct, usually the direct object of the verb or action. And if you thought school was over, you're on summer break, here we are talking about verbs once again. But what are we talking about? That this form it's in, this one, this God, is the direct object of the action. So in other words, the, the wording makes clear here, God's the object, he's the point of, he's the purpose of all things. So everything is to him. What's the object? Him, the Lord. God is at the center. He is the aim of all things. And just as you're studying, take one note. Who is not at the end of that sentence? Who do you not find at the end of the sentence? Who is missing here? We are. We are. Mankind is not at the center of God's purposes and love and glory. God is. That doesn't mean, if God is the center here, it doesn't mean God doesn't work in our lives. He doesn't, it doesn't mean He doesn't love us, but it means that in loving us and working in our lives, He is guiding us to what is most supreme, what is most full of joy, what is most glorious, and that is Himself. It's not selfishness on God's part. It's God being God for His glory alone. So, I think maybe it's been said in different ways, God is the ultimate goal of God. And by His mercy and grace, He brings us along to see Him in love, 
to see him as most wonderful. So God's creation, God's sustaining word in Christ, it's all aimed at God himself. Everything's orientated towards God. He's the aim of all things and ought to be the aim of our life as well. And so Paul concludes here. It's just a powerful but a short phrase. To him, to God, be glory forever. Some of you might have to him be the glory forever. Paul supplies just the natural response, what he's been stating in terms of everything being from God, through God, to God. It's this response, so all glory be to God. The word for glory you might recognize. It's the word doxa. The word for glory here is doxa. It's where we get the word doxology. Uh, We don't sing it often, but doxology. It's really, I looked this up in the Greek, it's kind of a combination of two words. It's doxa is glory, and then there's the the logi part, or I think the logic is word or speaking, and so it's doxology is glory speaking. Well, that's what Paul's doing here. There's There's a speech of glory here to the Lord. Doxa has a few definitions that can give us a hint. What is this glory of God? One just hint is it's got the condition of being bright or shining. We think of glory as, as brightly shining. Or a state of being magnificent. We sung about God's greatness or splendor or anything that catches the eye. Here it would be, seem, it would be uh, defined seemingly as honor as enhancement or recognition of status or performance and then they offer, one, one resource offers the word fame, renown, honor, or prestige. Fame. All the fame. Think of the famous ones. All the fame and recognition we give to people of seeming importance. Maybe, oh, that's, he's a famous actor or actress. Maybe some, maybe dwindling, some politicians are famous. Uh, Famous quarterback, we won't get into those, who those might be. Uh, Or famous, whatever, pick your sport. We think of fame there. We can get a a grasp of what that would be like. It's so nothing in comparison to the fame of God, the glory of God. He is the one from whom, again, through whom and to him are all things. So Paul here, he's kind of been launching since we're in 4th of July, kind of. He's launching these fireworks up. Fireworks to point to, to make much of God. That all the glory, all the honor, all the fame, all the praise is due to this God. So in Psalm 148, as we looked at Wednesday night, Psalm 148, creation is singing the praises of this glorious God. So should we. Now, there's one word that completes this little verse, and it's the word amen. One little word here. One definition states amen is this. You'll know why I picked this. Amen is a strong affirmation of what is stated. Amen. Something like that. Or it's an expression of faith, like let it be so, or I think really it's truly. It's the Hebrew word that means truly. But there's also this part of kind of tagged on definition, a liturgical formula at the end of the liturgy spoken by the congregation. The amen. It's, the, it's this last part kind of struck me. Sometimes you've heard, I don't do it often, but, you know, and everybody said, 
Amen. You know, we, we, we know that. I think there's some warrant for that, that it's, it's this response. It, and it's not to be used joking like everybody said amen, but reverently. What are we saying when we say that? When we say amen, we get to the end of a prayer, amen. Or, or Paul gets to the end of this section and says amen. He's saying, or we're saying, truly, let it be so, amen. It's the response of the heart to the truth of what is before us and hear this truth in God's word. So think of it as the congregational response as we go out even, truly, that we say these things. One commentator uh, closes out, uh, and I'll just quote from Cranfield. I don't know his first name. I think he sums up where we're at at, this, at the end of Romans chapters 9 through 11 here, and I'll just read his quote. I think it's a, a fitting way. He says, Paul has certainly not provided, if we think of the broad scope of what we studied, how inscrutable his ways, Paul has certainly not provided neat answers to the baffling questions which arise in connection with the subject matter of these three chapters. He has certainly not swept away all the difficulties, but, Cranfield says, if we have followed him through these chapters with serious and open-minded attentiveness, we may well feel that he has given us enough to enable us to repeat the amen of his doxology in joyful confidence that the deep mystery which surrounds us is neither a nightmare mystery of meaninglessness, nor a dark mystery of arbitrary omnipotence, but the mystery which will never turn out to be anything other than the mystery of the altogether good and merciful and faithful God. With that, I just want to close our time with just a few summary thoughts here as we just kind of pull away from this last verse. Number one, glory be to God for his inscrutable ways. To echo that quote we just read, God's ways are always good and they're righteous even when we do not understand all of what God is doing. God is sovereign over all, which may bring up other questions, but it's this truth we must cling to and savor that our Lord, from him, through him, and to him on all things. God is the potter. You've got that picture on your bulletin. It's been there for many of these weeks. This potter. We are clay. Lord, what would you have? It is to you. To everything is to you. What would you have in our lives? So to God be the glory. And then secondly, number two, as we think about that, how far we fall short of this glory. Can you look back? Even I'm not even asking the whole Bible. Just look back at verse 36 and say, Verse 36, that would describe my life this last week, 24 hours a day. My life looked pretty much, actually it looked like this verse. Can you look back on your week and go, my week was all about everything to the Lord. It was all about His glory. Is everything you do to the glory of God. It, I would assume in so many of us here, that is our desire. If I asked, do you want to give glory to God in your life? We would all say, Absolutely. Then we say, does it look like that in our, in our lives, in our interactions with others, or our thoughts, or our passions of our week? Are they to the glory of God, or, or maybe they're more where we're ending the verse, to, to me are all things, or I assume they ought to be to me. 
So I think this study, even on the glory of God, brings to contrast a familiar verse from the same book. Chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We might say, He's glorious and we see our own sin. So number three, though, there's a glorious truth here that God's glory has come in the flesh to save us. Listen to this. For you who have fallen short of the glory of God in Christ. Here's what Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 and 20 says. It says, all the fullness of God in Christ was pleased to dwell and through him, through Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And even in Romans 3, where Paul states, all have sinned and fallen short of this glory of God, yet to everyone who would believe God, it continues and says they are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. So God in His great mercy and grace, He comes to save sinners, enemies in His glorious, in His glorious One who is Christ. I want you to turn to one last place. We'll be short. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's just a fitting way. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. I can't remember the last time I've been here, probably sooner than I can remember. I just go here often. It's helpful. So we're thinking about this glory of God, our falling short, God's provision in Christ, what's going on with God's glory. I think Paul puts it together here, and we see in God's Word the glory of God in Christ himself. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Paul says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you want to see the glory of God? I want to see this glory. What, how do we, where, where does this begin? It begins to look to Christ. It in, and so that's number four. How do we live for God's glory? How do I, I want to do this. I want to live for God's glory. It begins by embracing the glorious one who is Jesus Christ, exalting the person and the work of Christ. Even the, the previous chapter here, when we behold this glory, we're being transformed. So beholding Christ, it's the way of transformation in our lives, and that's through God's Spirit. And then as we'll see, as we're going to march on next week to Romans 12, in light of God's mercies, in light of what He's done, there's life change that takes place, and we see that as we're going to work through Romans 12 and then what follows. And Paul's going to help us give glory to God in our lives as living sacrifices how we're to think and act as the body of Christ, so that as we get to chapter 15, verse 6, we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you today, and it's pointed right back at my own heart, to live a doxological life. Kids, that's a big word. Don't worry about spelling it. Doxological. Glory, doxa, logic, speaking that your life would speak not to your glory, to what, to what I've done today, 
to my accomplishments, where I'm at, I've got myself, whatever. It's a doxological life of glory to God alone. For everything is from Him, it's through Him, and it's to Him. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to prayer. We come to You. If we're honest, that our week, and maybe even this morning, has not looked doxological. It looks meological, looking at me. Father, we confess to you how we have stolen glory, and we steal it often. So forgive us. And Lord, guide us. I pray we'd be a church body that is grounded in your word and the truths of it, believing what is before us, being transformed by what we read of this Savior, of you, Jesus, beholding your glory, that we're transformed, and then we live lives that speak to your glory. Father, we need your help. We, we pray for courage in this, for boldness where we need that. We pray for patience. We pray for your mercy and grace. And we pray, Lord, that the Spirit would enable us and guide us with wisdom and how each of our lives, in the places you've put us, each of us in unique places, we are not all doing the same thing. Would you just guide us in those places, in the families you've put us, in the jobs, in the school, in the team, whatever. In these things, may we bring you glory and honor and fame in our lives till we give you glory for eternity with you. I pray this in your name. Amen. been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.